Good morning, and welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson. I'm Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I have with me our wonderful lay leader, Shernaz Garcia. We welcome each and every one of you here this morning. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it's in that tradition that I invite you to turn to those around you and greet the holy among us this morning. It is also our tradition in Unitarian Universalist churches to begin our services by lighting a chalice, which is a symbol of our faith. Please say with me our words for lighting the chalice that are printed in your order of service and are up on the screens. As we await the return of the light, we kindle the flame of community, the second of the five values of our congregation. May the light of community burn bright, reminding us to connect with joy, sorrow, and service to the beloved community that begins within these walls. Our call to worship today is by Robert Benson from his book, Between the Dreaming and the Coming True, The Road Home to God. Benson comes from a family of writers, publishers, and speakers with roots in Nashville, Tennessee. His books are about paying attention to the things that point us to the sacred in life. In this book, he offers a self-portrait of his experiences with depression and spiritual uncertainty, leading to a newfound understanding of his relationship to God. We do not always see that we should be moving about our days and lives and places with awe and reverence and wonder, with the same soft steps with which we enter the room of a sleeping child or the mysterious silence of a cathedral. There is no ground that is not holy ground. Unitarian Universalism is a faith without a creed. There's not a set of beliefs we all have to sign on to. So sometimes people ask us, well, then what holds you all together? Well, in this church, we have a set of values, and out of those religious values arose our mission statement. It's our common purpose, and we say it together every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. If you want to know more about what we mean by beloved community, there's an excellent poster from the Martin Luther King Center that explains it. It's on the back wall of our fellowship hall, Housen Hall. And to deepen our reflection on the meaning of beloved community and the challenges we still encounter for growing it, each week we've been asking those of us who identify as white to consider something that's likely outside our normal realm of experience, while also acknowledging the folks among us who do not identify as white and that they may well have experienced the same or similar harms to those we're pondering. So I was just reading a study that I found dismaying. It was how white employers were more likely to reject a job application without even doing an in-person interview if they thought the person's name sounded black on their resume. And what was more insidious about it is these white employers were not consciously aware that that's what they were doing. So our question to ponder this week is, what would it be like to be rejected for employment just because of how, how someone thinks your name sounds? 
As we ponder this, let's remember, though, there's no need to immerse ourselves in guilt or shame. In fact, these can be counterproductive. We need joy and community to sustain our struggle to do justice and build the beloved community. And there is much beauty to be found within that struggle itself. Our meditation reading is by Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, excerpted from his book, Who is Man? Rabbi Heschel was born in Warsaw, Poland, and came to the U.S. in 1940, following the Nazi deportation of Polish Jews. Widely regarded across faiths as one of America's great religious figures of the last century, Rabbi Heschel was a theologian, social activist, and mystic. Through his works, he sought to shock modern humanity out of its complacency, and awaken us to that spiritual dimension fading from contemporary consciousness. The sense of the ineffable. Awe is an intuition for the dignity of all things, a realization that things not only are what they are, but also stand, however remotely, for something supreme. Awe is a sense for the transcendence, for the reference everywhere to mystery beyond all things. Awe enables us to perceive in the world intimations of the divine, to sense in small things the beginning of infinite significance, to sense the ultimate in the common and the simple, to feel in the rush of the passing the stillness of the eternal. What we cannot comprehend by analysis, we become aware of in awe. Now is the time in our service when we breathe together. We breathe together and feeling the loving presence of those around us, we follow our breath to that deeper place inside, that place of greater wisdom, that place where we may still experience the awe of small children that spark of the divine within each of us. And breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together, remembering that the sounds of small children and human sounds are a part of that silence in this congregation. Breathing in, breathing out, we enter into that time of sacred silence together.
In August of 2017, my spouse, Wayne, and I flew to Denver, Colorado. There, we rented a car and drove to a rural area of western Nebraska, where we met up with Wayne's best friend, Teresa, and two of her sisters. One of Teresa's sisters had arranged with a family who had a farm outside the little town of Alliance, Nebraska, for the group of us to view the total solar eclipse from up on a hillside on their farm. So we gathered on top of the hill, picnic and other supplies in hand, to wait for the eclipse. Now, neither Wayne and I, nor the Denny sisters, Teresa, Pamela, and Lisa, very often find ourselves at a loss for words. But when that eclipse began, as the moon moved over the face of the sun and the light began to fade, as night creatures suddenly began their chorus of early evening sounds, we humans fell still and silent. Evening shadows fell over what had been mid-afternoon brightness. Eventually, the moon completely covered the sun, yet there was still a slight glow around the edges of the moon, casting a glimmer of light on us and all of the creatures and geography below. 
I was awestruck. I could feel my skin tingling. And then the moon began to move further across the sun, and one edge of the sun began to reappear, to become visible again, and we could see this glow of light in the distant horizon. The glow surrounded us. I turned around in a full circle and could see that orange glow, the color of a sunrise, at the edges of the entire 360 degrees of that horizon. Birds began their morning songs. I felt myself involuntarily inhaling a deep breath. My eyes were brimming with tears in reaction to the absolute beauty and enormity of what I had just witnessed. Well, later, after the eclipse had ended and we went back to the hotel where we were staying, Wayne and I talked about our experience of that eclipse. It turned out we had both gotten this powerful sense of how tiny our planet, indeed how tiny we are, in the almost incomprehensible vastness of our universe and the limitless sweep of time. And yet, yet we also had experienced a sense of expansion, of interconnectedness, of being an integral part of that great immensity. I wanted to start with this story of our experience of that eclipse this morning because for me it's such a strong example of the spiritual theme we're exploring as a religious community during December. The experience of awe. What does it mean to be a people of awe? Well, to start, it might be helpful to define what we mean by that little word awe that represents an experience which we're about to find out that can have profound effects upon us. The expression awe is rooted in the Greek word eikos, which also gives us the word ache. So, the experience of awe opens an ache in our hearts and thereby expands them with a desire to hold on to the change in perspective, the expansion of understanding that we are given by such experiences. Dr. Dacker Kellner, researcher and director of psychology at the University of California, Berkeley, who studies the experience of awe, offers this definition. Quote, Awe is the feeling of being in the presence of something vast that transcends your understanding of the world. He goes on to say that awe imbues people with a different sense of themselves, one that is smaller, more humble, and yet a part of something larger, much as Wayne and I had experienced. Similarly, neuropsychologist Nicholas Humphrey, who also studies awe, defines it as an experience of such vast perceptual, uh, perceptual vastness, you literally have to reconfigure your mental models of the world to assimilate it. Now, the scientific study of the experience and emotion we call awe is actually relatively new. However, we have already begun to discover some interesting and potentially important aspects of these experiences. For one thing, several studies of the physiological responses we have when we experience awe have found a commonality even across many, many cultures in our world. Here are some of them. A sudden, often vocalized, involuntary intake of breath. The feeling of hair on the arms being raised and or of having goosebumps. Widened eyes and the formation of tears. Stillness and a feeling of being struck silent. 
This early research has also found that awe seems to be beneficial to us in several ways. The first, and this may be one of the reasons we have evolved to have this capacity for experiencing awe, is that it seems to move us from individualistic and self-centered behavior toward collective interest and pro-social behavior. And of course, social behavior has been a major factor in the survival of our species. Researchers theorize this pro-social influence probably arises because of those psychological effects I just described earlier, that sense of smallness and humility, and yet at the same time, a feeling of connection with something larger. Here's a study to give you one example. Near the University of California at Berkeley stands a grove of eucalyptus trees that are the tallest in North America. If you stand beneath those trees, look up into them with their peeling bark, their odor, and the grayish-green light their canopy creates, this can readily induce a sense of awe. So in one study, researchers had a group of students do just that for a moment, just stand below those trees looking up. However, the researchers brought another group of students that they had looked 90 degrees away at the facade of a science building. Then, the researchers arranged for each of those students to encounter a person who stumbled and dropped a handful of pins. Well, sure enough, the students that had been gazing up at the awe-inspiring trees were far more likely to help the person pick up the pins. They also reported feeling less self-entitled than the other group did. And studies like this, studies demonstrating this pro-social influence of all, they've now been done using a wide variety of methods and done in a diverse set of subjects and in numerous different circumstances. It's interesting, studies have also found that experiences of all may improve our relationship with time. They help us get anchored in the present moment, help us feel that we are rich in time rather than always running out of it. And further, researchers have also found that experiences of awe boost creativity and improve scientific thinking. This may be because awe stimulates the dopamine system, which triggers curiosity and exploration in mammals. Albert Einstein once claimed that experiences of awe are the source of all true art and science. Well, even more recent research indicates even more potentially beneficial effects from feelings of awe. For instance, several studies have found that even short but regular experiences of awe can help our bodies regulate the cytokines in our immune system. These are chemical messages that help us with our inflammatory response if we've been injured. However, chronically elevated cytokines can cause depression and many other problems. And awe seems to help us reduce cytokine levels when they are elevated unnecessarily. Researchers have even theorized that experiences of awe are likely beneficial to people with post-traumatic stress. I was struck by the story of a man named Stacy Bear. Mr. Bear had been through two deployments in Iraq. After returning to the United States, he was suffering from severe post-traumatic stress, burdened by suicidal thoughts, and in his words, was drinking way, way, way too much. One day, he had gotten to an argument with his brother as the two were hiking in Utah's Canyon National Park. Things were really getting heated when suddenly they came upon an amazing natural structure called the Druid Ark. That's what it looks like. The men said they were stopped short. 
They said their jaws dropped. They began to laugh. They hugged each other. Bear says that in that moment, he couldn't even remember what they had been fighting about. And that experience of all was the beginning of Stacy Bear's life turning around such that today he's the director of Sierra Club Outdoors, the environmental organization's program that sponsors trips for veterans and at-risk youth on just such awe-inspiring wilderness excursion. And the program has documented clear improvements in psychological well-being, social functioning, and life outlook. Now, here's something that it's really important to know about awe. It doesn't take stumbling upon the Druid Ark, seeing the Grand Canyon for the first time, or experiencing a total eclipse of the sun for us to reap the potential benefits of awe. Certainly, these and other large and stunning experiences of awe, such as to be found in these types of extraordinary natural phenomenon or in pieces of extraordinary art, music, ritual, religious, spiritual experiences, and the like, these are so often unexpected blessings. But the research has also found that smaller, more run-of-the-meal feelings of all may be more common than we might expect, and they may be even more beneficial over the long run if we look for them and recognize them on a consistent basis. Here's just a few day-to-day events that people have reported moving them into this sense of awe. See if any of them ring a bell for you. Becoming absorbed in a pattern of light that the setting sun is casting on the floor through the living room blinds. Simpler but more frequent experiences of going into natural areas. Most of us can't visit the Grand Canyon every few days, after all. Gazing up at the stars on a really clear night or getting lost in an extraordinary sunrise or sunset. Witnessing a child we love's astonishment and joy at discovering something new in the world. Watching gold and red autumn leaves swirl and dance to the ground in a light wind. Observing other people engage in acts of kindness, justice, courage. The researchers say that the list of these more common, smaller doses of awe, as they call them, goes on and on and on. In fact, science has found that on average, folks feel awe every third day and that we can increase that frequency and even more if we allow ourselves the time to slow down, open ourselves to the potential for awe. Research has even found that we can experience awe through seeing or hearing about other people's experiences of awe, including watching their digital videos of it. So the Unitarian Universalist Soul Matters Group put together a YouTube playlist of potentially awe-inspiring short videos, and I made a short URL in case you want to go look for it, uh, but you can also just ask me later if you need it. Anyway, it's up here. It's HTTPS colon backslash backslash tinyurl.com backslash awe at first UU. So hopefully that'll be easy to remember. I'll give you just a short example from one of the videos.
anyway, there's a whole set of those that you can watch, and apparently the research says that by watching them, you can induce experiences of awe in yourself. I wanted to share one more video with you also. It's from philosopher and television and social media personality Jason Silva. Silva thinks that finding awe in what we might otherwise consider the mundane is not only possible, but that we need it to move us out of the banal and towards the more sublime and life-fulfilling. Let's look and listen. So I think a lot about the contrast between banality and wonder, between disengagement and radiant ecstasy, between being unaffected by the here and now being absolutely ravished emotionally by it. And I think one of the problems for human beings is mental habits. Once we create a comfort zone, we rarely step outside of that comfort zone. But the consequence of that is a phenomenon known as hedonic adaptation. Overstimulation to the same kind of thing, the same stimuli again and again and again, renders said stimuli invisible. Your brain has already mapped it in its own head, and you no longer literally have to be engaged by that. We have eyes yet see not, ears that hear not, and hearts that neither feel nor understand. There's a great book called The Wondering Brain that says that one of the ways that we elicit wonder is by scrambling the self temporarily so that the world can seep in. You know, Henry Miller says even a blade of grass, when given proper attention, becomes an infinitely magnificent world in itself, you know? Darwin said attention, if sudden and close, graduates into surprise, and this into astonishment, and this into stupefied amazement. That's what rapture is. That's what illumination is. That's what that sort of infinite comprehending awe that human beings love so much. And so how do we do that? How do we mess with our perceptual apparatus in order to have the kind of emotional and aesthetic experience from life that we render most meaningful? Because we all know those moments are there. Those are the moments that will make final cut. Only in these moments we experience afresh the hardly bearable ecstasy of direct energy exploding on our nerve endings. This is the rhapsodic, ecstatic, bursting forth of awe that expands our perceptual parameters beyond all previous limits and we literally have to reconfigure our mental models of the world in order to assimilate the beauty of that download. That is what it means to be inspired. The Greek root of the term means to breathe in, to take it in. We fit the universe through our brains and it comes out in the form of nothing less than poetry. We have a responsibility to awe. We have a responsibility to awe. I think I agree with him. And I think that that means these smaller doses of awe I've been talking about, as well as those more immense ones we may be fortunate to experience every once in a while, are a vital part of our own spirituality. They nourish our souls. A fascinating study found that practicing scientists who held awe as a part of their love of science were much more likely to have a deep sense of spirituality and even to hold a concept of God. Now, most often they didn't hold a classical or biblical sense of God, but rather a mystical concept of the divine.
They found God in the seemingly limitless creative potential of our universe, as well as the still profoundly mysterious nature of it, some of them metaphorically and others as an actual mystical cosmic force. Either way, though, they found through awe a deep meaning and beauty in life and a source of creativity and innovation in their scientific work. What if we made being open to, even actively seeking these experiences, both the everyday and the more extraordinary, a spiritual practice? Surrender to the mystery. Immerse yourself in experiences of awe. For therein is where God lives. Amen. Now please say with me our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. This morning outside I stood, and I saw a little red-winged bird shining like a burning bush. And singing like a scripture verse It made me want to bow my head I remember when church let out How things have changed since then Everything is holy now It used to be a world half there Heaven's second rate hand me down Now I walk it with a reverent air Cause everything is holy now. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.